0: And at this hour, we're sharing with you the message of Martha and Bill. And you'll find on the sheet of paper before you, those in the studio audience here, will find an outline of the experience through which they passed. The experience itself is detailed in our book entitled Sweethearts Again. Bill was a professional man, a medical doctor, a very close friend of mine. He was the first elder of the church of which I was pastor. He had a beautiful family. We were very close friends. I often went to Bill seeking the counsel he could give me in regard to church work. That's how dedicated a man he was. His wife was a regular princess. His children were lovely. Sometime after we left this church and went into our traveling ministry, we heard rumors about my friend, and from now on I'm going to call him my friend. I had heard some very serious rumors. They were in effect that he was not attending church any longer, that he had met with some great discouragement, tragedy in fact, but I never could piece the story together It was years later that it came out. In fact, he told me much of the experience himself. In fact, nearly all, as his wife and my wife were in their kitchen and she was sharing the experience with my wife. Because it contains such vital lessons to the home, we share it with you. And we pray for the Holy Spirit that every one of us may learn the most outstanding lesson from this experience. The Holy Spirit may impress you with one special lesson. He may impress another individual with another lesson. He's impressed me with one particular lesson that I will share with you in a few moments. My friend had very generously paid the way, largely, of a relative of his through through medicine. His heart was very big. He was very generous, very outgoing. And when his his relative had finished his study course and received his degree, it was just like my friend to take him in as a partner in his profession. And just a little after he took him in as a partner, a very, very unworthy rumor spread all over the area. The rumor was that my friend had become an adulterer that he was really rotten. Well, rumors will take place. The apostle James says the fire, that the tongue is set on the fire of hell. What a fire it can kindle. And so this rumor was believed by many people, but my friend knew that his relative, knowing him and having known him for years, would never believe it and then he was in for the shock of his life of all things this relative for whom he'd sacrificed so deeply believed the rumors and it broke my friend's heart he says to his relative you've known me for years you've known my conduct you've known the life that i've lived you've known the christian experience that I have. These are rumors. They're spread by the devil. The Lord had nothing to do with them. And his relative said, Uncle, you can't fool me. I believe they're true. Friends, isn't that a tragedy? And then my friend made the mistake of his Christian life. He took his eyes off Jesus and put them on his unworthy relative. And 2 Corinthians, the third chapter in the 18th verse says, we beholding are changed into the same image. In other words, the thing you mull over, the thing you contemplate, that which you put your mind on continually, you become. Very, very gradual it takes place, gradually. But it does take place. And as he took his eyes off Jesus, who is love, he lost the love of Jesus. As he put his eyes on his unworthy relative, his love was turned to hatred. One day he came back to the house. His wife met him as usual. Martha just threw her arms around him as usual. She knew the terrible experience through which he was passing. And he opened his coat. He said, I have been deputized. He showed her a gun. In fact, he had two guns, and he said, "I am going to shoot him." She said, "Honey, you, you wouldn't murder a fly, hardly. You wouldn't think of doing a thing like that." He said, "Don't fear." He said, "There'll be no reproach brought on my family. I know just how to handle it. When a man is dead, he can't testify. I represent the law now. I know just how to handle it. I have it all figured out." You have no fear. Why, you wouldn't do a thing like that. He said, yes, I would. That man is ruining my reputation. My practice is going down the drain. You think I'm going to take this sitting down? Not on your life. And then, when he got his eyes off of Christ, who is love, not merely did he have hatred, but when he took his eyes off of Christ, who is purity, He fell into the very trap of which he'd been accused. He would come back home and tell his wife, and we're not going into the sordid situations ourselves, but just enough to say he told his wife of the women that he was living with, of the experiences that he'd had with two or three in a single day. Can you imagine the effect that would have on Martha? Now friends, here is the first lesson that I pray to God that every one of us here doing this program and listening in the studio, by the power of God we shall learn, and it is this. How in the world would she salvage Bill? She had every right in the world to divorce him, right? Surely. But there's a higher right, and that higher right is to salvage But how could she salvage him? The very very feminine heart was full of revulsion at the things he was doing and yet the Lord impressed her with this. If you show revulsion, if you show retaliation, if you show a pained look, if you give him the impression that you're pitying yourself, it will never help. Self-pity will never salvage that man. You must present to him the love that allures, Hosea 2.14. I will allure. And she said, oh, Lord, I do want to salvage him, but how in the world can I allure him when I'm revolted at the terrible things he's doing? And then she told us, she said, the Lord helped me to find a book in my library entitled The Ministry of Healing. She said, we had a little lake not far from our cottage. And she said, I took this little book, The Ministry of Healing, down to this lake and I opened this book and I read. And she said, and there was another book in my library entitled Path to the Heart. She said, I took those two books down to my lake and I would read for two hours straight until all of this revulsion was gone. I would get up from where I was sitting there at the lake. I'd go back to the house. When my husband returned, I would kiss him with a smile. She said, but, but I was only cured of this revulsion for a matter of an hour or two. As I would think again on the sordid life that he was living, my whole soul revolted. Lord, help me. She said, help me, Lord. I've got to go down and be with you. She said, I would take another two hours. I would read the book, The Ministry of Healing. And I read your book, Path to the Heart, Pastor Kuhn. Oh, let me say parenthetically, friends. I have known all my life that I'm not a literary writer. A lot of people came to us at our last session and thanked us for our books. But friends, it's only the love and the power and the kindness of Jesus that has made these books a blessing. I had an obsession under God to save homes and save lives. I said, oh, Lord, help me. I don't know how to write, but help me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Some of those books have been written almost on our knees. She said, and again, in two hours, I was strengthened. I got up again. When my husband would come back again, I would smile into his face and kiss him on the lips. Can you imagine? Friends, the first lesson that I want to share with you and with myself is this. If you and I want a happy home, don't zero in on the faults of our mates. Don't do it. You don't have a happy home by reforming your mate. You have a happy home by asking Jesus Christ to regenerate regenerate this heart, this life. Examine yourselves whether you'll be in the faith. And I found the greatest deterrent to happy homes is one mate zeroing in on the faults of the other. When their own faults might be twice or three times as great. Isn't Satan a devil? He gets us to see and think on the many mistakes of our our loved ones and forget that we may be many times as guilty. If we're not half as guilty, the only way to salvage is to take that first step to reveal to them the alluring love of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. That dear lady, Martha, went through an experience, my friends, not of a few days. Her experience of being what the Lord would have her to be lasted for months, day after day, day after day, week after week, month after month. She picked up those two books. She read them and reread them. She saturated herself with the messages that they contained. Every time she went back to greet her husband with that smile, with that love. What kind of love? My friends, that is Calvary love, amen? That's Calvary love. That's the love of Jesus Christ who said to those who spat upon him, To those who crucified him, to those who belittled him, who humiliated him, who wagged their heads at him. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So alluring was his love on Calvary that even the thief who had denounced him with the other saw such love, such wonderful love, that he finally turns to Jesus and he said, Oh, will you please remember me, we're guilty. And he told the whole group, he's not guilty, we're guilty. Lord, will you remember me? Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Friends, that's what love will do. That is the alluring power of love. Holy Spirit, impress us at this hour, I pray, that every one of us as a partner in marriage will cease, dear Lord, to dwell on the faults of our mates. Help us, dear Lord, to realize that we need to be new creatures in Jesus Christ every day. Thank you, Lord. You're doing it, and thank you for hearing us. And then, friends, after many months, she began to realize that the, the actions through which she'd passed were becoming a habit. She was now habitually kind of this wretch. <laughs> She found that it had become part of her very character. She smiled, she allured, she loved. He saw no taint of bitterness, no sign of revulsion. I say, wonder, O heavens, and be astonished O earth. What do you say? Can you say amen? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Now, friends, I realize that the devil wants us all to say, look, I'll take so much But beyond that point, I don't take any more. People actually come to us and they tell us that they're even training their children to take so much in school, but not anymore. And they boast of it. I tell my boy, they say, don't you pick on anybody. But if that boy picks on you, you don't you let up until he's a grease spot.
1: They go to church next Sabbath and sing love divine or love excelling. I sure put him in his place.
0: That's not the love of Calvary. Calvary love got through to Martha in a most outstanding way. After many months, then the Holy Spirit impressed her. Now that I have made you what I want you to be, now you will be a channel to woo him and to salvage him. And she said, just about this time, somebody handed me another book. She said, the book is entitled The ABCs of Bible Prayer. She said, as I started reading it, I said, oh, there are promises that I can claim. God has said, ask. Jesus said, ask and it'll be given you, that's the aim. He said, believe that you'll receive and you'll have. And he said, then, follow my example. I said, Father, thank you, you've heard me, and I'll answer. Oh, she said, dear Lord, thank you. You're gonna save Bill, you're gonna save him. You said in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, I will deliver them who all their lifetime were subject to bondage. I'm not sure that was a promise she claimed, but she claimed a promise. Lord, I ask you to do it. I believe you're doing it. Then she claimed wisdom, James 1, 5. What's my part, Lord? And she made up her mind that probably what the Lord should do to him would be to involve him in a wreck. (laughs) And that's of course why she made a mistake. She said, dear Lord, my husband needs a good shaking up. And will you do whatever you want with that car? But shake him up in that car. Maybe you'll learn a lesson. And the man was involved in an accident that totaled his car and he walked out without a scratch. And he was the same bill, (laughs) he was the same bill. She said, dear Lord, it didn't work. Maybe he didn't get enough. Will you give him another dose? He was involved in another wreck and came out without a scratch. You know, the Lord was saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. She said, now the practice had gone down she said, "I said, now, Lord, uh, I tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like to see. I would like to see uh, our house sell, and I'd like to see the practice sell." She said, and then she claimed Philippians 4:19, I believe it was, "My God shall supply all your need." And she said, just then, of all things, instead of my husband getting better, he got worse. He started off to another state with one of his girlfriends and said he'd be gone a month. She said, I claimed a promise from the Lord and I wrote a letter to my children and I said, he thinks he's gonna be gone a month. I don't think he'll be gone a month. You'll take care of that, Lord. I'm claiming his promises. She said he was back in four days. She said he walked in the house and he said, honey, I'm through with women. I'm through drinking. I'm through smoking. I'm through with all the the vices, and she said, and he was through, completely through, but she said he wasn't converted. You know, a lot of people have the impression that the way to get converted is to stop this and stop that. That isn't the way you get converted. The Holy Spirit does a conversion. You can stop everything and still be a sinner. I've attended funerals. I've seen the corpse there. He doesn't run around anymore, but he's dead. He doesn't smoke, he doesn't drink, he doesn't carry on, but he's dead. I don't want to be a dead Christian. I want the power of the Holy Spirit. What do you say? She said, then, I said, Lord. uh," Oh, in the meantime, when he came back, she said, honey, the practice is sold. She claimed a promise and God sold the practice. And her husband said, what? She said, yes, I'm claiming Bible promises. And that scared him. He was afraid she was going to claim one for him. She said, now, Lord, all we like before we go to another state is to sell the house. Nobody wanted the house. It was like filth. They didn't want to touch it. She said, Lord, you'll do it. I'm claiming. And she said, you know what happened? The house blew up. There was a leak in the gas line. They'd notified the gas company. They did nothing about it. The house blew up. She said, my husband was within a hair's breadth of death. Even his dog that was leaving the house was demolished. He never saw the dog again. The cat was blown right out of the window. My husband was saved by hair's breadth. We started for another state. She said, on the way, I said, dear Lord, Glenn Kuhn was such a dear, dear friend of my husband. Do you mind having Glenn and Ethel Kuhn hold a series in our new church where we're attending? She said, we went to the new church. A few weeks later, we saw in the bulletin, Brother and sister Glenn Coon are coming to hold a series of meetings. She said, I almost hit the ceiling. Thank you, Lord. When we walked into that place, when we drove in, I walked along the road and met her. Martha said, Pastor, I have a special program here. She said, "It's, it's problem unsolvable. It's impossible, except by the grace of God. I said, let's pray together. Two weeks later, I had the privilege of baptizing her husband in a Baptist church. They had a baptistry. We didn't have one in our church. After I opened and read the Bible before I baptized him, I closed it. I'd borrowed a Bible from the Baptist church, the only time I ever had a baptismal service, and forgot my Bible. And I opened and read, and then I closed my Bible. I baptized him. I took the Baptist Bible, put it back in the pew. Several months later, I got a letter from Martha. Dear Brother Kuhn, did you receive the $100 bill my husband left in your Bible? I said, God bless the dear Baptist who got it. (laughs) He probably needed it more than I did. (laughs) But I thought I needed it very much when I heard about it. Before that, I didn't know I needed it. (laughs) That man was so happy to realize that the Lord had changed his life, that he, he came and he was a different man. He was as happy as a hysterical teenager. He sat there one evening and told me the whole story and such a change in a human heart. And you know, I gave him a coon hug. You know what a coon hug is? It's a hug by Glenn Coon. And I like to give them and I can manufacture them just as fast as I can distribute them. My friends, why was Bill salvaged? That woman decided under God that instead of her zeroing in on his faults, she would ask God to make her the woman under God that would allure that man. And then she claimed the promises and God fulfilled them. And they're a happy family in Jesus Christ. Wonderful Lord. Let's sing it together. Precious My wonderful Savior, truthful, my wonderful Lord, together.
1: Precious, my wonderful Savior, truthful, His wonderful Word. Sweet is His wonderful promise. Oh, what a wonderful. Lord.
0: And did you notice what she did? It's found in the next stanza. Ask of your wonderful Savior. Trust in his wonderful word. Claim every wonderful promise made by our wonderful Lord together.
1: Ask of your wonderful Savior. Trust in his wonderful word word claim every wonderful promise
0: made by our wonderful Lord that's what she did she said as I claimed those promises of the Lord she said in great agony I reached up and I just said Lord you are doing it you promised and you cannot lie it is not because I am worthy, but it's because God never fails. Can you say amen? amen? This is God. Let's sing it again.
1: Precious my wonderful Savior, truthful His wonderful word, sweet is His wonderful promise. Oh, what a wonderful Lord.
0: And dear Lord, may thy Holy Spirit burn into our hearts, not merely the necessity of ourselves receiving of your power, but the fact that it is available to us, dear Lord, in every time of need that thy life can be lived in our lives and we can see miracles trans transpire by the marvelous, infinite, glorious grace of Jesus. Thank you in your lovely name. Amen. And now it's share time. Brother, would you come up and share with me? Thank you so much. You might share right, sit here if you would like. While the others are pairing off in twos to state what they have received as a blessing from this session.
2: As I have thought of the story you're told tonight, I think of the statement made in the Bible that you reap what you sow. What you put into a situation determines to a large extent what you give back out of it. And in the case of this lady tonight, she realized she had a problem. She had a choice. She could have gone at her husband like an old mother hen and just attacked and flooded all over the place and accused and gotten angry and stormed and roared and probably got the same reaction back from her husband. You sock somebody in the nose and the tendency is the person socks back. But she didn't do this. She went back and she changed herself. She made herself more becoming, a more desirable mate. And what she put into the situation is what she got back, more loving, kind atmosphere, and the husband returned to her. So I think what you sow is what you reap.
0: And there's a promise, isn't there? That's right. Whatsoever man soweth.
2: That's right. That's that shall he also
0: reap. Yes. Should we just have a little word of prayer that the Lord will help all of us to sow better seed? Would you lead us?
2: All right. Our Father in heaven, we all face problems in life. Help us to think of the way that Jesus would have us go about these. Amen. May we realize the working of the human mind when we attack and accuse, become angry. We usually get the same kind of response in return. But help us to be like Jesus, to be loving then kind and thoughtful, patience, because we know this approach will bring about a similar response in other people. We ask in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. <clears throat> and now we are ready for our question and answer period. Do you have
3: the first question? Yes. The uh, first questioner wants to know, Pastor Kuhn, did uh, the doctor friend in the story really become converted or did he just go through with that rebaptism? do you think, to please his wife?
0: It was astonishing to me not merely the joy that he received, but the joy in conversion. And we have checked since then, and we've received several reports of his wonderful fellowship in Jesus Christ. So it shows how genuine can be a conversion after this tragic series of
3: events, doesn't it? Uh, This questioner says, what training does it take to be able to give uh, counsel like you give the training there are many kinds of training but
0: the type of counsel that we give is completely Bible counseling we do not use any academic terms we use no psychology terms no psychiatric terms we base ours completely on the Bible and you might be interested the Bible says in Deuteronomy the fourth chapter and the sixth verse as the Lord was speaking to the children of Israel, he said, as they followed his principles, he said, this will be your wisdom in the eyes of the nations. As we were doing one of our books on counseling, uh, someone sent a message through to the president of a college, and he said, he said that if you didn't know that Kuhn had gotten this all from the Bible, you'd think that he was guilty of plagiarizing. You see, the Bible is still up to date. It's far ahead of date. And at another occasion, some young college student got a hold of some of our tapes in which we answered questions. And his college uh, teacher, one of the teachers, learned about these tapes and asked him if he could take these tapes into his classroom. And they played some of the tapes and then they discussed them in the classroom. Now, we merely gave answers as we've been giving them here, straight from the Bible. And the students discussed the answers. And the teacher then got a hold of the young man. He said, where did Pastor Kuhn get his training? In what university? And the young man said, he got this completely and entirely and exclusively from the Bible. And the teacher said, no, this is impossible. He said the way he's answering these questions, he said it parallels the very latest that is being taught in our universities today. But the universities, as beautiful as they are, and there's some wonderful uh, uh, counsel that is given from university graduates, the universities of today are still not up to the Bible. None of us are up to the Bible, for we only uh, study it superficially at our best, you see. So we thank the Lord that he is the source of our wisdom. How true it is when Jesus said, if any of you like wisdom, let him ask of God. And it said, for Christ is made unto us wisdom. Well, when Christ, who is the center of all wisdom, is made unto us wisdom, it should surpass all human wisdom,
3: right? Next. Uh, Along the same vein, Pastor Kuhn, as a counselor, you hear a lot of sordid details about people's lives. How do you keep from showing shock or disgust? What promise can I claim? So many things disgust me but I care about the people. That is beautiful. You might be interested to
0: know that in the life of Jesus, and this is how we are kept in the road, Christ says, I am the way. You'll notice in the life of Christ, for instance, for one example, when Jesus talked to the woman of Samaria, isn't it amazing? Jesus never showed any sign of shock, not by the lifting of an eyebrow, did he show the pain that sin causes? And yet we read in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, that he hated iniquity. Iniquity just pierced his very soul. It was iniquity that crucified Christ. Yet, had he shown pain as he talked to these repentant sinners or the sinners that were bartering, verging on repentance, it could repel them. So the best way for us to keep from showing shock, expressing shock, is to think of how Jesus handled them and how Jesus handles us. You see, all sin is sin. The moment that we say, you better sin the way I sin or you better stop sinning, this this carries the connotation that that we're a, a more choice sinner, that we're a higher grade sinner. We must never forget that the greatest sins in all, the most incurable sins, are the sins of spiritual pride and sanctimony. Satan wasn't cast out of heaven because he went out and committed adultery. He was cast out of heaven because he was a sanctimonious
3: devil. The next uh, questioner says, Pastor Kuhn, could it be that I don't know which Bible promise to claim for my wife? She just does not respond. Well, first of all, we'd like to know what
0: she isn't responding to. (laughs) Maybe she is responding. Uh, The Bible says, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And we're not trying to belittle the one who, who raised the question, but maybe, maybe she is responding. Maybe she's responding to our being too technical. Or maybe we're being a little too religious, a little too sanctimonious. And you see, we have to be extremely careful not to try to educate others. Now, On the other hand, I don't wanna go to an extreme. It is important. The Bible says, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he apologizes, forgive him. So there is a place for rebuke. This is very, very important. There is a time when relatives should kindly and sweetly rebuke. But what we have been trying to, to present to our people where we go is this. This constant picking, this constant belittling is the thing that hurts. Uh, Speaking of rebuking, one of the most wonderful things that ever happened to me as a young lad was one day I was out picking berries back on our farm with my brother Clinton, my eldest brother. I'd been going to public school and without my realizing how I was picking up some of the slang of the school, I'd picked up the word hell. And one of these berries pierced me and I said, oh hell. And my brother Clinton very sweetly and very kindly turned to him, he said, Glenn, did you say that? Friends, that thing was worth more to me than a dozen sermons. The Bible says if he sinned, do rebuke him. But don't keep taking, you see. It is very important that we help each other. And when we are rebuked, it's good for us not to get angry now. You don't should tell me a thing. It's good for us, even if a person rebukes us in the wrong way, to say, Lord, Whatever there is in that, maybe you permitted this person to do this so that I would learn to be meek. I've thought over for many years, there are many things, you know, that my wife has given me counsel concerning. You go to a psychiatrist, you pay up to $50 an hour for counsel. You pay him. And the thing that the psychiatrist tells you after you pay him $50, your wife could tell you in three minutes what's wrong and she won't charge you a penny, you see? She may not always say it in the right way. After my wife and I were married a month, we got our telephone bill, we got our electric bill, we got our gas bill, we got our water bill. But you know one thing I never got? I got no bill for the free council. <laughs> so let's not rise up and rear up against a little council, even if people overdo it. Let's not rear up against it when they counsel us, even though it may be improper in some respects. The meek he will guide in judgment. Let's take it. On the other hand, let us be careful not to be too free with our counsel with others. Don't be picking people. There may be times when we'll have to show by the expression of our face or by just a word that we don't approve of something that may be sensuous or that's evil, you see.
3: But let's not keep picking. Pastor Kuhn, do you really think that if a person does as the wife in the story did, that every husband or every mate will repent
0: no no right in heaven in the presence of our Lord one-third of the angels fell in the presence of Jesus on earth one of the twelve disciples forsook him that is the one side of the coin but the other side of the coin is in heaven the Lord saved two-thirds of them Jesus on earth saved eleven out of twelve if when you and I do as this lady did If we save 11 twelfths or two-thirds of the people for whom we pray, it's a magnificent job. What do you say? See? Thank you. Oh, by the way, may I say this in this respect? I have a book in my library called Medical Missionary, Medical Ministry. And it's one of the most unlikely books that you'd expect to find a statement concerning praying for people. On page 244, this Christian worker made this statement. It said that we have the right to claim Uh, Christ's promise that says, ask and you'll receive. It says we should go to him and say, Lord, I ask you for this soul. I must have this soul converted to you. And it's speaking about souls that seem to have no interest whatsoever in religion. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord is letting us know that he can weave around the, the human heart influences that can lead them to see the loveliness of Jesus and fall in love with him if we'll take the right attitude. Thank you. Is there another question?
3: This uh, person writes the comment, Pastor Kuhn, this story was supposed to lift me, but it's depressed me. That wife was so patient. I could never be that patient. Even little things annoy me. What can I do about it? Well, do you know what? You're
0: so much like me, I'm ashamed of you. <laughs> you know, we do lot, let a lot of little things irritate us, don't we, all of us. How about, what about the rest of you people, right? Now, notice this. This lady never could have met this challenge, never, had she not spent hours and hours and hours. You remember? She took those two books down there at the lake. She studied and she prayed and she claimed God's promise promises to make her kind. And God promises this. You see, she waited on the Lord until the Lord imparted her the strength so that she could come back and look at her husband and kiss him on the lips without revulsion. This is the secret. You see, we can't do it of ourselves. If we just say, well, from now on I'm not going to be irritated, that's not enough. I must receive the strength from the strength giver, you see. It is God that worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. I have found in my own life, friends, that while I have no power in myself, Jesus Christ has the power. And if I look up to him and ask him to give me this strength, Ask him to give me his life. Tell him I believe he's doing it because he cannot lie. I found it completely changes my reaction. It will do the same for you because God is no respecter of persons.
3: What if uh, this wife, what if the wife's husband had gone ahead and divorced her anyway? If he divorced her anyway. In fact, he never even threatened to divorce her.
0: She, He could have divorced her. But you know, I found a lot of people who've been divorced have become sweethearts again. We have several experiences that we've done in our books of people who have been divorced. Some people get the impression, well, divorce, oh, that's it. That doesn't have to be it at all. A divorce is just something on paper. Don't get the impression that because the divorce has taken place that that's the end,
3: not necessarily at all. Just what did Jesus mean when he said that to keep from falling into temptation, we should watch and pray. Watch what and pray what? (laughs) That's good. Watch for the first
0: encroachments of Satan. You see, in the Christian life, temptation is like a wedge. I was born on the farm. We sawed wood. Sometimes we'd put that big long cross cut saw through a great big log, and when we'd get down so far, it, sometimes it would pinch. We take a wedge, you know the wedge might be three inches thick at the thickest point, but it is only a tiny fraction of an inch at the entrance point. We put that w- wedge into that saw cut and that little beginning split that wide open so we could saw the way through. We're to watch the very first signs of yielding to temptation. Remember, it's a first step. It's a first step to avoid. You'll never, smoke, you'll never smoke marijuana if you don't smoke the first cigarette. We'll never become a drunkard, an alcoholic, if we don't drink the first social glass. We'll never run off with another man if we don't have dates. Say, oh God, help me to watch. The very first, the very first encroachment of the devil. Let me watch. Because later I can say, what a fool I was. Why in the world didn't I watch? Watch. Now watch and pray. Now as we pray, we claim promises. Here's a promise we can claim. And here's the basis of all promise claiming. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of what? The divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I have learned in my ministry, that's 2 Peter 1, 4, I have learned that my life is a completely different life when I claim the life of Jesus Christ as found in his promises. I become a partaker of the divine nature, you see. When we become a partaker of the divine nature, That's prayer. We watch for the first intrusion of the devil. Then we ask God to fill us with his life, to give us a strength to resist temptation. That's watching and that is praying. The
3: next question. I think a husband has a right to be jealous of his wife because the Bible says that God is jealous about us. My problem is when I'm feeling my jealous right, I lose my feelings of love toward her and I start resenting her. Please help. All right, in two or three parts. Number
0: one, yes. There is such a thing as true jealousy. The Lord has a right to demand our homage. A husband or a wife has the right to expect that their mate will render to them a love and not share it with anyone else. This is right, this is proper. But when then we speak to the mate, if we, if, if we think the mate isn't quite true to us in some respects, we should ask the Lord to keep us from being angry. Now, someone said, the questioner said, uh, I seem to lose my love. Remember, this love may be the, that, that the person is losing is not the true basic love. It's only the romantic love. Remember, there's a romantic love, there's a filial love, and there's a divine love. And you can't expect much romantic love if you think your mate is stepping out on you, you see? So don't be worried because you're apparently losing love. You're not losing divine love. You're just, this is jealousy taken over, true jealousy. The mate has no right whatsoever to be playing around with someone else. But on the other hand, if you want to make it easier for your mate to come back, ask the Lord to help you to be kind and to be so sweet and winsome and uh, lovely that the mate will want to be with you. On the other hand, let me add this. If a mate is, finds that his or her partner is jealous, the mate of whom this person is jealous does and should do what 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says. Examine yourself. Have I given any reason for jealousy? Maybe this is the Lord speaking to me. Maybe the Lord is saying to me, look, be careful. Be careful. Watch your step. I've learned this. We have in our, uh, on the wall of our home, and we've had it for years, in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 268, these words. The disposing of events is of God's providence. If a mate says to the other, I, I have a little jealous feeling, let the one to whom he speaks says, God, keep me from giving any occasion. Amen. The next question.
3: Pastor Kuhn, a friend of mine was at one of the last sessions that I didn't make. And they said something about beans and bottles, but I didn't understand what it was. Would you repeat that for me? Yes. Uh, we suggested that when,
0: when married partners are wondering which is bossy, and one says, I think you're trying to boss me, and the other said, no, you're trying to boss me. Then we suggest they take three little bottles. They could be ever so small. One bottle they'll, they'll call his and another hers and another it. <laughs> in it, they'll, they'll fill it with beans. And every time that he finds himself telling her what to do without being asked, he will take a bean out of it and put it in his. Every time that she tells him something to do without his asking, she will take the bean out of it and put it in hers. Now, they must be careful. He must be careful and not take a bean out of it and put it in hers, you see. So let each one put the bean in their own, you see. The other might say, uh, might remind the mate, uh, would that be bean worthy, (laughs) you know? And then they'll see over a period of time which bottle is filling up first and let them put all the humor they can into it. This way, we've learned that, learned that people can learn
3: beans about marriage. <laughs> Pastor Kuhn, should a person tell the one he is going to marry about all his past romantic episodes? <laughs> well, now, that's, uh, that's,
0: that's a good question. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. By beholding, we're changed in the same image. In other words, the more we go into the sordid experiences of our life, the more the devil will use that to arouse the suspicion of the mate. We do have a right to say to our mate, I haven't lived the right kind of a life. But I've given my heart to the Lord. But to go into all the sordid details of a past life accomplishes nothing whatsoever. God says overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. God says in Philippians 4, 8, whatever things are lovely, think on these things. Whatever things are true and of good report.
3: Thank you. What do you think are the basic principles for a happy marriage? The basic principles
0: of a happy marriage is just plain Christian unselfishness. It is the unselfishness of Jesus Christ The basis of a happy home is Jesus. Those who pray together, you've heard this for years, those who pray together will stay together. Jesus is the center, he's the basis of the home. And I have found the people that we've been counseling for 50 years, we have found that they have let go of Jesus or they don't let go of the home. Let them pray together, let them take the morning together, a little, a worship time, let them not hurry it. Find a time when they can pray together, uh, unhurriedly. Uh, let them make their worship joyful. If they're with children, of course, the wor- worship for the children must be short and beautiful and singy, and, and the children should participate. But for the, oh, for, the, for the mates, let them take time together with Jesus. Let them take time alone with Jesus. Let them meditate w- with, with the Holy Spirit guiding them Why did this home seem to be irritable today? Lord, what do you want me to do to be like Jesus? Christ is the center. Christ's love, Christ's unselfish love is the center of the home. You see, many people marry to make themselves happy. It's all right to want happiness, but we should bear in mind we want to make the other person happy. Uh, Laugh at the other person's jokes. You know, did you hear years ago about the little song, uh, if you laugh at my jokes too much, people will think we're in love? You remember that? Yes, I found this. I found some of the finest uh, friends of mine who have made the most friends have been freest to laugh when somebody else uh, says something that's humorous.
3: I'm not talking about shady jokes, no, no. But the question is, how can you get along when your husband is a practical joker. It's just not funny, some of the things he's doing. (laughs) Make it funny. Make
0: it funny. You see, here's the Bible. Now, notice the Bible text. 1 Peter 2.17 says what? Honor all men. (laughs) We We were in a home many years ago, talking to a couple, and a lady had left her husband. And she said, before I ever come back to you, you must agree never to tell the same joke twice. Now, they weren't talking about shady jokes. Can you imagine that? She laid down a number of wonderful rules. One was that he must take a bath every day, which probably was needed, (laughs) you know. But one was that he must never tell a joke she'd she'd heard before. Can you imagine the sermons my wife has heard me repeat a hundred times? And she sits there and listens just as though she'd heard it for the first time. You know what that does to this coon? This coon thinks, man, maybe, maybe I am making it. My wife seems to think so. The reverence that we have for our mates, even in their practical jokes, goes a long way. Don't feel, it's a, don't feel that it's a, a, a sacrifice, my friends. It's a joy, it's a delight. Laugh with them, rejoice with them. Make them think they are somebody. They want Noble what They're making the grade. <laughs> That's right.
2: This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.